Welcome back to What in the World. My name is Ryan Rosenthal, joined as always by my co-host Andre Ganoella. And Andre, uh, this week we're, we're looking like we're talking about China and a lot of China just because we have uh, the quad. So Andre, why don't you kick us off with the quad? Well, the quad is basically this like semi-security meeting that occurs between the United States, Japan, India, and Australia, all uh, well, Japan, India, and Australia all being major regional powers in the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, the Quad initially existed in the Bush administration, but then uh, Kevin Rudd, who was the Prime Minister of Australia in around 2008, pulled Australia away from the Quad because he wanted to signal closer ties with China. But then the Quad came back under the Trump administration, who sought to, you know, uh, bolster its own posturing against China. So the Quad is essentially, you know, the meeting of these four countries, which is often seen by many as designed to basically signal to China like, hey, we're talking and we are cognizant of, you know, what you and China are doing. So, yeah, and like, you know, it's sort of like semi-regular meetings. There is military coordination through the form of like training and drills, and certainly, like, you know, the exchange of uh, security information between those four countries. So President Biden is supposed to meet with the leaders of the Quad virtually, I believe, tomorrow. Is that right, Ryan? Is it tomorrow? Yes. Well, for all of our listeners, it'll be the day you're listening to this. But yes, for our purposes, yes, it's for tomorrow. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to see what occurs. I mean... Right now, it's sort of notable to sort of be watching what India is going to be doing with regards to the Quad, just because uh, we had India and China have uh, those very that very tense situation in the Himalayas uh, just this past summer. So certainly, India is going to try to be, uh, I think, perhaps more proactive with how its approach to China comes across. But again, as I've noted before, and as we've noted with an Indian ambassador, uh, Arun Singh, or U.S. Uh, Indian ambassador to the U.S., Arun Singh, uh, India likes to be more autonomous. It doesn't necessarily like to be aligned with any particular country. But as I said last week, uh, it might be more aligned now with U.S. interests, at least with regards to China. So, like China, so like India is certainly going to, you know, be taking on is going to be taking their involvement in the quad like way more seriously. So it'll be very interesting to see what occurs with that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's um let's take a step back and kind of contextualize this for our listeners. So of course we have uh, the the president President Biden meeting with the other leaders of the quad, but we also have Secretary of State Blinken and Secretary of Defense Austin meeting with their counterparts in Japan and Korea next week as well. And so um, this is kind of a broader effort by the U.S. to kind of meet with its Indo-Pacific allies, this crucial grouping of four countries. And so the the, spokesmo- the spokesperson for the, the State Department said, quote, uh, the, the, the effort is to reaffirm the U.S.'s commitment to strengthening our alliances and to highlight cooperation that promotes peace, security, and prosperity in the Indo-Pacific region and around the world, close quote. Again, I mean, that is the goal of the Quad. It's also an unsaid goal is to counter China, right? I mean, if you look at- Very much the, unsaid. Right. Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's definitely unsaid, but it's certainly what, you know, everyone knows it. Um, there, it's, it's quite certain. And also, I think it's important to point out that uh, Secretary of State Blinken and National Security Advisor Sullivan will be heading to Anchorage, Alaska next week to meet with two of their counterparts from China, where they're supposed to be talking about trade, 
uh, IP, cyber, climate, and also human rights. Uh, on, on Thursday, uh, the U.S. condemned China's new law that basically changes Hong Kong's electoral system, has been eroding democracy in Hong Kong. And the White House also said that they will address the Uyghur, and they called it a genocide, quote unquote, genocide uh, with China in these talks. And so that is, again, a significant step. It's something that the, the Biden administration has already done, but they're, they're continuing to reassert the usage of the word genocide, which is certainly very valid. We've talked about it uh, in past episodes, most notably with Professor Sean Roberts, where we kind of delved into his work and his book on the, the cultural genocide that is occurring uh, in Xinjiang province uh, in China against the Uyghur people. And so, uh, again, when we're looking at this kind of more broadly, uh, this is an effort, kind of the, the most significant uh, thing that occurs in, in the president's foreign policy um, agenda in the first hundred days is the first trip. And this is kind of like the first trip. Well, I mean, the president Biden isn't actually traveling. Um, he's, he's virtually holding these meetings. And now we have um, Secretary of State Blinken and Secretary of Defense Austin taking the trip overseas to meet with these Indo-Pacific partners. Yeah. And, I, and also just going back to the quad for a bit, I mean, this meeting, this virtual meeting that's supposed to happen, it's actually the first time that the heads of state and uh, of government, at least for India, because the prime minister there is the head of government, but it's the first time these like four leaders have actually met uh, with regards to the Quad, like all together in that entity. Like it did not happen during the Bush administration. It did not happen during the during the Trump administration. So this is very unique. Uh, as said before. Uh, I mean, the Quad, it's not a formal military alliance. In fact, it is still sort of loose. I mean, as I said before, uh, Prime Minister Kevin Rudd of Australia withdrew Australia from uh, the Quad in 2008. But I mean, of course, with you know the rise of China, it is very implicit. But certainly the countries like India, Australia, and Japan, they don't necessarily want to publicly state that this is certainly something to counter China. They don't want to publicly state that. But keep in mind, again, you know, China's activities in the South China Sea, China's activities with that port in Sri Lanka, uh, all of the all of these maritime issues. We talked a bit about this with Admiral Stavridis uh, maybe about two weeks ago uh, regarding freedom of navigation. These are all going to be big issues that are going to be discussed or that I would assume would be discussed during potential quad meetings or between the U.S. and those allies. And as said, uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is actually going to be visiting Japan, South Korea, and India. And uh, keep a close eye on when he goes to India and he meets with the Indian Defense Minister Rajnath Singh. It'll be very interesting to see what actually occurs there, what talks happen, and to see like if India is actually going to move towards a more U.S. geopolitical position. I mean, it'd be a huge move if India did so, right? Because as we've talked about neutrality over and over again, it seems like at least in the past handful of years, India is kind of slowly moving towards the quote-unquote West, or at least towards its U.S. ally, particularly because of the close relationship that Modi and Trump had. Well, not an ally. It, it's not a, They're not allies, again. They are sure. more aligned. Right. They, they, so, okay. F- fair enough. Because the no, but I mean, but the, but the thing is, the word ally is uh, very significant mm-hmm. for the Indian government. They don't want to be seen as having, quote unquote, an ally, perhaps friendlier ties, but think of it more as being aligned, 
align. If you look at that from the Indian point of view, certainly. But when you look at the U.S. point of view, it's it's they use the word alliances. The U.S. Of, I maybe overuses the word alliance, um, but particularly when we had the the State Department spokesperson uh, Ned Price, he said strengthening our alliances, and he mentioned the Indo-Pacific region, which includes India, of course, and they have these meetings um, with you know India um, and 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 Japan and uh, South Korea and Australia, and so. Again, you're right. I think you're absolutely right that uh, India would never call it an alliance just because of their more, uh, I guess, conservative approach to, to you know, state building. The U.S. The US would love to build an alliance with India for right. sure. I would imagine the U.S. would love to build an alliance, but you know, it takes two to tango. Of, of course, an alliance. So, because I mean, you know, as Ryan, as you said, I mean, we use this word alliance, alliance, alliance so often. But when you actually think about it, the officialness of an alliance, uh, it's like, you know, like I might say I'm dating some girl over there. She might not think that at all. We're not dating. Right. So that's basically what the U.S., you know, if the U.S. is using alliance to describe that relationship with India, it's not mutual. (laughs) That's quite an interesting metaphor, Andre. Thank you for that visual. Um, Metaphor, I think. (laughs) Well, I mean, it certainly works. Um, so anyway, if we kind of, you know, dig into this a little deeper, right, if you look at just the region on a map, I mean, for those of you listening, you're probably just listening and, you know, not on your, your actual phones. But if you look at a map, uh, these key countries are very strategic uh, and they basically surround China. Uh, of course, you know, to the north, China's northern border, we don't really have many friends in that region, but you're getting all the other sides to it. And so uh, particularly when you're, you mean Russia being the thing north of China? Yes. Yes, the, the unsaid northern um, pain. Um, but yes, so uh, of course, you, you mentioned that India and China have had this recent border spat. Uh, Japan and China have a very long, contentious history. And so the Japan and, and the US have a very strong relationship. And Australia over the years has actually kind of been moving away from China. Uh, China has a massive amount of investment and cultural relations with Australia. And so given the, the trade disputes uh, over the past you know, handful of months, as well as other issues um, when you're looking at um, investment and particularly, right, we had the whole wine crisis, this free idea of freedom wine, where um, you had basically people around the world were buying Australian wine as a, as a, a sign to China that, hey, we, we've got Australia's back because there was this, this trade spat. Um, and so uh, again, right, the the reason that this is so significant, and we're going to keep reiterating, just because one, China is the greatest threat to the United States. Hard stop. I don't, I don't think there's any if, ands, or buts in that conversation. But so once you look past that, the the next question is where? How do you combat this threat? And so why not look to the region where it it lies, that being the Indo Pacific region? And so who are the main players? Well, Australia, India, Japan. And so that, I mean, it's natural to have these talks. Certainly, it is natural to have these talks. And of course, I mean, as we discussed last week, when we looked at the interim national security strategy, the Biden administration is clearly, you know, pivoting to multilateralism, to the Indo-Pacific as a region, away from, you know, the areas we thought were dominant in the last, in the, in, you know, the first decade of the 2000s, right? Like we're moving more away from the Middle East, at least as a focus area. We're moving away from, you know, a unipolar or a bipolar world. I mean, I frankly think it's moving into a multipolar world. And, uh, you know, if Biden can enhance some level of coordination 
with these three countries to counter to counterbalance China, he would love to do so. But, you know, it takes those three other countries to willingly participate in that. And we don't necessarily know if, you know, like India would want to do that, if Australia would want to do that. So, like, you know, you shouldn't expect any military strategy developments to really, I would imagine, come out of those quad meetings. But it'll be interesting nonetheless to see what actually happens and how this relationship sort of goes further in the, you know, in the coming years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the quad stays together, right? Because, I mean, over time, since, you know, I think 2007, when it was, you know, most recently kind of strengthened, uh, it fell apart. And so we haven't really seen... yeah. Right, 2008, right, exactly. And so, I mean, that's the issue, right? If you don't, if you have these meetings, great, but what are you going to make of them? And so um, I, I imagine that the the White House... Uh, is doing everything it can to come to some sort of uh, arrangement or maybe some some talking points that they'll release of of mutually agreeable terms of of the relationship um and maybe have some some sort of recommendations for the relationship moving forward but again as we i mean all, these three countries when you look outside of the US have a variety of of kind of moving parts that they have to deal with uh, of course India has you know, a lot of threats, both internally and externally. And so it also, it always walks a fine line. Uh, Australia has, is seemingly trying to, you know, kind of create a, a stronger relationship with the United States as it has been. And then Japan, of course, is, as I you know said earlier, is always going to be a strong U.S. ally. It's just going to be interesting to see the, how far it's willing to go to combat uh, China just because uh, it, it gets tricky in, in that region of the world. Yeah, essentially the too long don't didn't read uh, explanation of all of this is that China's relations with the Quad countries have basically died in the past year or so. Like they have gone down with Australia, India, Japan, and certainly the United States of America. They have all gone down. As a result of these lackluster relationships, we will actually see what happens with the Quad. But yeah, I mean, that's essentially what's happening with the Quad. In terms of other news, I know that there is a little transatlantic crisis uh, with Ambassador Oprah Winfrey that occurred uh, this past week, but uh, we will not delve into that. I think uh, the mainstream media has covered that uh, situation uh, long enough, far enough, deep enough. Um, Certain President Biden, Prime Minister Johnson, and Queen Elizabeth, uh, Her Royal Majesty, uh, will also be addressing this bilaterally. But uh, anyway, aside from that stuff, Ryan, what else is happening in the news? Well, I mean, there's certainly a lot of kind of concerning things that are happening around the world. If we look to Ethiopia, um, that's still a, an, an ongoing issue. Uh, the United States uh, said that President Biden is keeping a close eye, but has not announced any action on that front. Um, we, we talked about kind of the, the, ish, the situation in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. Um, there's, you know, this, this region that is kind of basically the opposition party is housed in this region. It was coming into conflict and almost it's seemingly a civil war between the, the Ethiopian central government and this region. And uh, things were kind of, you know, getting better. But over the past uh, couple of weeks, had they've been heating up again. Same thing in Myanmar. It's not getting better. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing the crackdown on social media. We're seeing crackdown on protesters. Um, again, the United States and its partners around the world have committed themselves to looking into all forms of responses from sanctions um, to you know other, other legal mechanisms, but of course, not going as far as just saying regime change. 
um, which uh, is something that the the Biden administration kind of has said, you know, no more forever wars. It's a kind of a broader thing we've been talking about in the podcast, but um, it, it doesn't look like much action is going to be taken on that front. Mm. It'll be very interesting to see. And it's very also sad to see, I mean, sort of how uh, these situations are sort of deteriorating, uh, especially with Ethiopia. We've covered the Tigray crisis uh, at length with, uh, with one of our episodes, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Ryan, is, are there any Russia updates? You always have a Russia update for us every single week. <laughs> what is happening in Russia? Has someone been jailed again? No, so no one's been jailed this time, but Russia has, interesting enough, attempted to slow down Twitter. Uh, I, I mean, it's so so basically Russia has this idea that it's going to create its own sovereign internet. Uh, that's a longer conversation, but it basically is trying to slow down Twitter because it it basically sees Twitter as a threat to its sovereignty. Uh, and so the the communications watchdog said that Twitter has failed to remove illegal content from its platform. Russia has their own set of um, internet laws and content moderation laws. And so um, all these big tech companies are always trying to kind of conform to those laws. They have to do so in every country around the world. It's quite difficult from a compliance standpoint. And so basically for failing to remove the content they want, they said they're going to slow it down. Um, and and what that's looked like, well, not, I mean, not much really. And so, I mean, I, I kind of, um, I am on Russian Twitter every so often and from the tweets that I've seen, it seems like everything's kind of normal. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the only interesting thing that's coming out of Russia, a uh, notable thing that's coming out of Russia this week. Um, but I will say um, on, on that front, stay tuned to kind of developments in, in the big tech space with Russia. They've been attempting to make moves, as I said, with this sovereign internet law, trying to disconnect Russia from the World Wide Web and create their own kind of insular um, internet just because they want to have a greater handle on information. And so, yeah, that's all I got with Russia. Yeah. Uh, CNN has done this uh, good piece sort of highlighting uh, what is essentially a famine again in Yemen. And as we know, uh, Mm. Yemen's been going through this dreadful civil war. Uh, The Saudis are on one side and certainly Saudi involvement uh, with that has been one of the reasons why many have called on the U.S. to stop uh, supporting Saudi Arabia with the, to the extent that we have. But uh, basically, the Saudis have imposed a blockade uh, around Hodeiba. I, I believe I'm saying that right. It's a port in the north of Yemen. Uh, a blockade against there. So that's where Yemen was usually getting a lot of its food and fuel from. And, you know, no few food is going to cause a lot of uh, health crises and so on. But no fuel also means the hospitals can't run, as the CNN piece aptly notes. Uh, and uh, we'll be linking that CNN piece in the description, but uh, it is just dreadful. I mean, there are so many young kids dying because of the lack of food and so on. And, you know, this this stuff's still going on. This stuff has been going on for years, and it's still going on, and it's just dreadful. It is just dreadful. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, the approach that the Biden administration takes with regards to its policy on the war in Yemen. Uh, I mean, they have, I think, publicly voiced their, you know, the need for a ceasefire and, you know, negotiated a political settlement. But uh, who knows what Saudi Arabia is going to do, right? Like Saudi Arabia is still very well involved in the actual conflict 
Right. I mean, the, the U.S. basically told the Houthi rebels that uh, it needs to stop attacking and start negotiating. Now that the U.S. has demonstrated to Saudi Arabia that it's not going to support uh, its proxy war in Yemen, it's trying to bring both sides together to say, hey, I mean, you're, you're basically destroying the people of this country. And so you have the government on one side, the Houthi rebels um, on the other side. And so um, this will probably be something that the Biden administration attempts to resolve in the near future because it's been a huge crisis that has ripped apart the country, has cost billions and billions of dollars. It is a, it's, a, it's a mark on the United States. It's a mark uh, on Saudi Arabia and Iran and, of course, Yemen. And so uh, I, I imagine that there are, there are efforts being made kind of in back channels to um, kind of resurrect some sort of, of deal between the rebels uh, and the government and move towards some sort of peace settlement. Yeah. So, Andre, I also want to, now that if we're staying in the Middle East, let's talk about Israel um, and its um, kind of normalization of relations. Interestingly enough, uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has canceled his trip to the UAE, which is kind of a a pre-election setback for him. There has been some disagreements with uh, their neighbor, Jordan, a a diplomatic disagreement, which is, again, a a setback for Netanyahu as he has this re-election campaign, Um, as as we all know. Netanyahu has a very kind of interesting and intricate relationship, a ruling relationship with Benny Gantz. Uh, and so he kind of needs all the support he can get all to curry favor as much as possible. And so the normalization of relations has been a huge blessing for Netanyahu as far as his political capital. And so kind of anything that kind of degradates that is a stain on him. And so basically there's been difficulties coordinating the flight over Jordanian airspace um, which they would have to go through in order to get to the UAE. And so, again, you know, while Jordan and Israel have had close-ish relationships, it's still not a, a good relationship. It's a working relationship. And so uh, I imagine that they, they come to some sort of agreement on this uh, be, just because Netanyahu, I mean, he really does need this. And so he will probably do everything in his power there will likely be concessions in order to get that trip to the UAE as soon as possible. And does Netanyahu look likely to like win another term? I mean, like he, they've literally been coming down to ties, but because as some of you may know, Israel's uh, government, its parliament, the Knesset, is not. You don't just have a Democratic and a Republican party. There are many, many multiple parties, and you know, Likud is just one in a broader coalition. And they have ruled by coalition, essentially. So does Netanyahu look more likelier to actually win a term this time around? Like, outright? <laughs> what coalition? No? Nope. Like, <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I had a better answer. But all the polls that I've seen have said it's going to be deadlock again. And so it's, I, I just, it's, it's really quite staggering how Israel had just time and time again not been able to, to you know, have a... Uh, a leader kind of come out on top. And so um, we'll have the the Netanyahu block, you know, again, maintain the seats that it's had. There are some of uh, more, you know, right-leaning parties that might be a bit more successful. There's a handful of, of seats kind of teetering on, on a election threshold that, um, you know, we could get into the how electoral politics works, but no need to do that now. Um, Israel is particularly interesting uh, in that. Um, but Anyway, to answer your question, the short answer is no. It's going to be another sort of agreement. I mean, it's still maintaining this agreement between Gantz and Netanyahu, but again, this this gridlock is going to stay. It'll be very interesting to see what happens there in Israel. Uh, anything else happening? 
Is there anything big besides, I mean, we talked a lot about the quad stuff, but anything else? Not much on my radar. I will say, you know, we got uh, some interesting episodes coming up. Um, Notably on Monday, we have an interesting episode with uh, Ken DeCleva, who is a psychiatrist. He worked in the U.S. government um, as as a diplomat serving around the world, most notably in Russia. And since leaving the, the U.S. government, since leaving the State Department service, he has been one of the foremost producers of leadership profiles. And so we do a very interesting deep dive on leaders around the world, including uh, North Korea's Kim Jong-un, China's Xi Jinping, and Russia's Vladimir Putin. Uh, it's, it was quite different than anything we've ever talked about, Andre. Um, and so certainly something that you and I, I think, enjoyed very much discussing just because we kind of go into their, their psyches, how leadership analysis occurs, why it's important and how policymakers use leadership analysis. Just because at the end of the day, right, U.S. leaders interact with world leaders one-to-one in many scenarios and also in, you know, larger meetings too. And so you have to understand the person that's sitting across the table, or I guess in our times, across the Zoom meeting or computer screen. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think um, for any of you interested in not only like psychology and psychiatry, but also international affairs, leadership styles, communication, uh, it's a great episode. Definitely. And please do check out our episode with uh, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin as well. Uh, we have some great stuff coming up. I can't say, uh, you know, uh, what we have confirmed so far, but what we have planned out is going to be great. So, you know, stay tuned. Uh, come back next Friday for more What in the World. Uh, uh, keep your eyes peeled for our more episodes with our Atlantic Council partners. And yeah, see you soon. And make sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. We kind of reinvigorated it. We have these regional readouts, which give you a rundown of events happening around the world. It's basically a uh, a typed version of what Andre and I do every Friday. And so this will just be in your your inbox every Tuesday evening. Um, and so, yeah, it's you can find that on our website. We'll also have it linked uh, in this episode's description. Thank you all for listening. Um, my name is Ryan Rosenthal. My name is Andre Ganoella. See you next week.